Good morning. Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Uh, last Sunday was the day of Pentecost. We talked about the Holy Spirit coming down, and, and, uh, and so the Sunday after Pentecost, is, which is today, that's always called Trinity Sunday. And Trinity Sunday is a day that the church has always set aside to teach about the doctrine of the Trinity. Now that is the point in the sermon at 8 o'clock where I could begin to hear, actually hear, eyes glazing over. The word doctrine. So stay with me. I, I pray that this will be a blessing to you. But the doctrine of the Trinity is that we have a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God who exists in three persons. Now the Trinity is the fundamental doctrine about the nature of God. It's more foundational even than knowing God as loving, or knowing God as just, or knowing God as creator. We all talk all the time about knowing God, right? Having a relationship with God. But to know God and miss the Trinity would be a little like having a best friend and not knowing their name, or their species, for that matter. So, uh, the Trinity, the triune nature of God, is fundamental to our Christian faith. And yet, while the truth of the Trinity is at the very heart of what truth is, to our little human pea brains, Trinity doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Uh, it's beyond our understanding. It is math-defying, isn't it? We have one God... In three persons. We don't have three gods who operate as one. We have one God who exists in three persons. And so for that reason, we have a Trinity Sunday, a day in which often the sermon is sloughed off on the associate rector. Uh, but <laughs> our associate rector solved that by going to Camp Weed uh, uh, to be the chaplain out there for the weekend. Thanks a lot. So... Um, <laughs> Now, actually, I love preaching about the doctrine of the Trinity, but it is a challenge. And it's a challenge because there's virtually no way to get it exactly right. But there are lots of ways to get it exactly wrong. So, uh, put on your thinking cap, but make sure your thinking cap is attached to your heart. And uh, let's consider this amazing doctrine that we have one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, we don't have three gods who operate as one. We don't have one God with multiple expressions, sort of a schizophrenic God. We have one God in three persons. It's not like anything, but we do try often to explain it using analogies. They don't work. But here's one that we try a lot. The doctrine, uh, the, the, the Trinity is like water, right? The Trinity is like water because we can have uh, ice, and we can have liquid, and we can have steam. So you have three different ways of, of having. But the problem is you can't have ice and steam at the same time. You can't have liquid and ice at the same time. Uh, and you, ha you have to have one or the other with water. But, but um, with the Trinity, you have to have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at once. And so the God is like water analogy. It uh, illustrates a heresy that uh, the church has come to call modalism. Modalism. 
And that suggests that God is singular, but expressed in different modes uh, at different times. Like he's Father sometimes, Son sometimes, Holy Spirit sometimes. That analogy does not allow uh, for three distinct persons. You might also say, like, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a husband, but I'm always me. Well, that doesn't work. It's modalism. It's, it's, um, it doesn't work. So, um, that one doesn't work. How about, uh, how about this one? The Holy Spirit, I mean, I mean, the Trinity is like an apple, right? We've got the core, we've got the flesh, we've got the peel. And so you've got three distinct parts that come together to make up a whole. That sounds pretty good, right? There's a problem. Because the peel is not an apple, the peel is not an apple. Where am I? All right, the, um, the, the, the peel, the core, the flesh, they all come together to make uh, an apple. And, um, and you can, it, that would illustrate a heresy that the church has come to call partialism, suggesting that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are part of God that all come together to form God, like some sort of Transformers megabot that all comes together to form. But that doesn't work either. Sorry, I don't want to hurt anybody. Okay. Um, so, the witness of the Scriptures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are each individually divine, and yet they are not three gods operating together as one. That is a heresy called tritheism. Uh, they are one God and three persons. Uh, they are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, it's, it is beyond Right? I hope I've illustrated it so far. It's beyond our ability to capture it. There is one analogy that I think works pretty well. And maybe we should do this in children's church. Do you know what this is? Can you see it in the back? It's a fidget spinner. And if you were to, if you were to get over the fact that it was, it's actually just one piece of plastic and could have made three things that aren't, aren't connected, and you can see that, that you can't tell the difference when it's spinning. It's sort of like I had a, um, a professor who called the Trinity a dance. They're all working together. Now, if you stop it, the analogy breaks down. But they're all working together, and they look solid, but, but they're, all, they're actually three different parts. So, um, that blew your minds, I know. All right. Uh, there was a, a bishop in Egypt in the 300s. His name was Athanasius of Alexandria. That'll be on the quiz afterwards. Athanasius of Alexandria. If you were to go in the back of your Book of Common Prayer, all the way to the back, tiny little print on page 864, you'd find the Athanasian Creed. And let me read you, uh, again, stay with me, uh, let me read you what part of what he said about uh, the Trinity. Then what we're going to do is we're going to look at the gospel text and we'll talk about why this matters. And then we'll get to the stakes, uh, the stake raffle, which is why you're all here anyway. So, um, this is what Athanasius says. He says, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father, uncreated. The Son, uncreated. The Holy Ghost, uncreated. The Father, unlimited. The Son, unlimited. The Holy Ghost, 
unlimited. The Father, eternal. The Son, eternal. And the Holy Ghost, eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. And there are not three uncreated or three infinities, but one uncreated and one infinite. It's not an analogy, but it's about as close as we're going to get to understanding the Trinity. I put a diagram in your pews. You should have gotten that. That I found helpful. Where it says the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, but each one is, is God. One of the things that the Athanasian Creed helps us to understand as we neither confuse the persons nor divide the essence is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all in perfect accord. They're all in perfect accord. It's not, so it's not that the Father is holy and just and fearsome, but the Son is loving and gracious and approachable. That's not how it is. Just as the three persons of the Godhead share the same nature, they also share the same character, which means that the Father is just as loving as the Son. And when we experience the love of Jesus, the Son, that is because of the love of, G- of God the Father, given to us through God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is just as holy as the Father. The Son is just as righteous as uh, the Father. So I want you to notice, if you were to look at uh, the Gospel passage, I want you to notice what Jesus says towards the end of our Gospel passage. He's talking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit, which would come, uh, this is the night before He dies, uh, and so the Holy Spirit's going to come and this is what he says about the Spirit. He says, He will glorify, He, the Spirit, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And therefore I said that He, the Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus says that the Father has given Him everything. So the Father has emptied Himself to the Son. The Father has given the Son everything that He has. He who deserves the full praise and glory of every atom in the universe, He has reserved nothing for Himself. Jesus says, all that the Father has is Mine. And so... I mean, Jesus says it so nonchalantly that it's easy to miss this mind-blowing statement about how generous and humble and kind the Father is. Everything He has, which literally is everything, is given to the Son. This is why St. Paul wrote to the Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's because God has given Jesus all that He has. That's why the author of the Hebrews wrote that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature because the Father has given Him everything that He has. Remember, do you remember at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission passage, Uh, where Jesus tells His disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. I mean, it sounds like maybe Jesus was just scratching the surface then, because here He says, 
all that the Father has has been given uh, to me. All the Father has is mine. So the Father is not, as some have suggested, some angry, snarling God with His arms crossed, vacuuming up all the praise that He can get. He is as sacrificial and loving as He is holy. And he is as, the Father is as self-emptying as He is just. All that the Father has has been given to Jesus, the Son. Jesus is the second, second person of the Trinity. So what does Jesus do with this unfathomable power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and glory, and honor? He gives it away. He says he gives it to the Spirit. The Spirit comes and takes what is Jesus. Jesus does not retain what the Father has given to him. He doesn't exploit this extraordinary gift. He does not leverage his platform or stage a coup. He just takes all the Father has given to him, which again, literally is everything, and he gives it away to the Holy Spirit. Now why would he do that? Because his character is at the same as the Father, because they are both God. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. His Father is generous and humble and kind, gives it all away. So what does Jesus do? He's generous and humble and kind, and He gives it all away. All that the Father has given to Him, He has given to the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity. And so what follows with the Holy Spirit? He takes what belongs to Jesus, what does he do? Well, his character is the same as the Father and the Son, and so he gives it away. Now, at least from our perspective, this is maybe the most amazing part about the whole thing, because who does the Spirit give it to? I mean, you might think that he gives it back to the Father, so they had this sort of lazy river of holiness going with them around and around, but no, he said, I mean, think of the vulnerability of God in this. He gives it to you and to me. He gives it to us. Now, I don't mean that there's like this divine secret to wealth and power that you have to unlock if you hold your mouth right or whatever. What I do think the text is saying is that there is not an ounce of God's love for you that God has withheld. There is no conditional asterisk by His grace and mercy for you. Because you are in Christ, because you have placed your faith in Christ in His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, you have full access to the triune God. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. So in a very real sense, a spiritual sense, you're right there. You're right in the middle. God above you, in you, and around you, and for you. You're in the middle. God has not withheld himself from you. Jesus says he is sending the Holy Spirit to be with you and to guide you into all truth. Now, the scholar D.A. Carson wrote this. He wrote, the notion of guidance into truth is, has nothing to do with privileged information pertaining to one's choice, for example, of vocation or mate. You know, like, we say, oh, I just don't know what God wants me to do. The Spirit's going to lead me into all truth um, so I can take this job or be with this person, Whatever. He says, that's not what God's talking about, leading us into all truth. The guidance in all truth 
it has to do with understanding God as He has revealed Himself and with obeying that revelation. So I think for our life, it means three things, short things, and then we'll be done. First, for all the good things in your life, whether that's material or relational or vocational, or financial, or spiritual, or whatever else it is, for all the good things in your life, you have a loving, gracious, generous, divine benefactor always to thank, always to give glory to, and always to know and to press further into. That's number one. Number two, it means that for all the hard things in your life, in the times of loss, and grief, in times of sadness, and worry, and uncertainty, in times of poverty, or sickness, or stress, you have the Lord of life in whom to take refuge, you have the God of hope and comfort in whom to rest, you have a Savior who has suffered and understands, you have a God who has given you His Scripture, and His church, and His Spirit for guidance and for peace. And finally, number three, if the Father has given everything to the Son, and the Son has given everything to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has given everything to you, then what are we to do with it? We are to give it away with full confidence that the tap's never going to run dry. I mean, God is going to continue to pour into us. We can and should reflect His kindness, His generosity, His grace. We can and should be beacons of His love and forgiveness in our families, in our workplaces, and in our community. We are not to be mere consumers of grace but conduits of love and mercy. Always receiving, always pouring out. Now we must stay connected to the source or we will run dry. There will be times in your life, and I am at one myself, where I need to recharge my batteries. But our aim must always be to give it away. To give it away. For when we do, friends, we will never lack Thanks be to God. Amen.